This piece has been brought to you by Bonnie Plants, bonnieplants.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Inside School Food, conversation for K-12 food service insiders about what's going on behind the scenes and solutions that work. I'm your host, Laura Stanley. Today's episode is Salad Bars Part 2. We're going to be picking up where we left off two weeks ago on Salad Bars Part 1. And if you haven't heard that one yet, uh, check it out on the Heritage Radio Network uh, website. It's episode number six. So in 2012, USDA reported only 17% of schools stocking salad bars on a daily basis. That would seem a discouraging statistic. However, the School Nutrition Association survey results from 2011 indicate strong interest in salad nationwide, with 89.7% of districts reporting use of salad bars, prepackaged salad, or both. Uh, SNA is working on better data that will separate salad bars from prepackaged and tell us more about frequency of use. In the meantime, today's Inside School Food guests are hard at work making it easier for more districts to acquire salad bars and put them to work. They are the two women at the helm of the Food Family Farming Foundation, one of the partners in the nonprofit Let's Move Salad Bars to Schools. Ann Cooper is founder and president. Mara Fleischman is executive director. So welcome, Ann and Mara. Thank you. So um, let me tell our listeners a little bit about you. Anne, uh, those of us who have been following your career for all these many years know that you are a force of nature who wears many hats, a classically trained chef, school food service director, an activist, food systems educator and reformer, and author of four books, including most recently Lunch Lessons, Changing the Way We Feed Our Children. Mara, you joined Food Family Farming um, as executive director after 12 years with Whole Foods Market, where you most recently worked as national director of partnerships. At the foundation, you lead and oversee programming, partnerships, strategic planning, and development. And you're both in Boulder, Colorado this morning, right? Yeah, yeah. Boulder. Yeah, and, and um, Anne, I assume you're not too far from a kitchen there at Boulder Public Schools where you serve as food service director, right? Uh, there are kitchens all over the place. We have 52 of them, so yep. I'm never very far away from one of them. Right, right. So, um, Mara, can you start us off with some background about let's move salad bars to schools? Um, you know, start where you want, and I'll pitch in with, you know, questions. Okay, sounds good. Uh, well, the Let's Move Salad Bars to School program started in 2010, so we're celebrating our, our four-year anniversary and uh, it's, it started off as a, as a partnership. The Let's Move Salad Bars to School program, it's a, it's a public health campaign to increase salad bars in schools and provide kids with um, access to fruits and vegetables, greater access to fruits and vegetables. Um, so the, the founding partners for the, uh, Let's, for the Let's Move Salad Bars to School program were United Fresh Foundation, the National Fruit and Veggie Alliance, Food Family Farming, and Whole Foods Market. And this team was really the team that got this initiative started. Um, it, the, the Let's Move Salad Bars to School program um, supports 
First Lady Michelle Obama's Let's Move initiative. Um, so we work hand in hand. And, and to date, um, four years into the initiative, we have just about 3,500 salad bars placed in schools, which is really exciting. And that's in 49 states? It's in 49 states. That's right. All right. So who's your holdout? We've got to get a salad bar there. We got it. Let's spread the word. It's Wyoming is oh, our holdout. Okay. And uh, we're, we're eager to place one. Okay. So if you're listening from Wyoming, um, <laughs> you know who to call <laughs> to get a salad bar. Um, and I know you've got quite a spectrum of participating districts. Um, last or, or two weeks ago, we spoke with uh, folks from Riverside um, Unified, which is one of the larger districts enrolled in Let's Move Salad Bars to Schools. But you, you've got some little ones, too. So what's, what's, the, what's the scope? Yeah, we've got, we've, we, it really spans the gamut. I mean, we have, um, you know, school districts in Kittery, Maine, um, you know, that are, are really small. And, and then we've got giant ones in, you know, Riverside, California, Miami, Dade. Um, we have mid-sized ones, uh, Minneapolis Public School District. Food service director there, Bertrand Weber, has implemented salad bars in his district. In his district, also um, uh, the Mount Horeb district in uh, Wisconsin, which is kind of a, uh, more on the smaller side. Mount Horeb's got 1,600 kids in the district. Mm-hmm. So you know, you go from Riverside, which has 35,000, to a place like Mount Horeb or Kittery, Maine district, which has about um, uh, just over a thousand kids in the district. It really spans the gamut. Right, right, and 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 the second half, I, I want to ask you a little bit more about um, different approaches from these different size districts, because there's no one-size-fits-all approach to using the program or using salad bars, um, and you guys really have a, have a good database of, of different practices at this point. Um, I know that the, this year, uh, earlier this year, the Gretchen Swanson Center for Nutrition released an evaluation of the program, and the outcomes look pretty encouraging. Can you tell us a little bit about what they found? Yeah. So, yeah, this is our first evaluation on the Let's Move Salad Bars to Schools program, and um, we had... Um, we had some really strong outcomes there. Uh, first of all, the collectively, I think one of the interesting facts on the evaluation is that um, over 50% of the um, students that are um, that are in schools that participated in the evaluation are, um, are are free and reduced students. So, meaning that we're really hitting. Um, a broad range of kids, and we're really able to see um, how we're affecting kids of low income uh, in throughout the salad bar process. But one of the one of the stats that I think is most encouraging. There's a couple, but seventy eight percent of the districts that we surveyed reported increased purchases of fruit and vegetables um, while after implementing the salad bar. And so, you know, if the if the goal here is to provide more access uh, to kids of fresh, fresh fresh fruits and vegetables, we're really kind of hitting the target there with a seventy eight percent increase of purchasing amongst the school districts. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that the there was fifty seven percent of the school districts, and I think this is really important for for kind of current news topics around school food reform. Fifty percent of the Districts report an increase in participation after implementing the salad bar. So I think that that 
it takes time and it takes a little it takes a, a, a little technique and I'm sure Ann will get into that a little bit as we go on but um, we really are reporting increase in participation after implementing salad bars and then kind of one finally one of the other pieces that I really think is so important to the puzzle that we showed in the evaluation is that um, in nearly 87% of the districts that um, uh, that launched the salad bar program had some sort of classroom education. 75% of the uh, districts reported doing taste testings. So overall, the salad bars were reported as um, um, positive, 94% still in operation mm-hmm. um, after the program. But I do think that these schools were dedicated and committed to making it work, and I think that's what it takes. Right. They're, they're a proactive group, but I, I also think that, that the um, support that you offer uh, makes it easier for them to, to do those kinds of things. So it's, yeah, it's both. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And that's, I, I, that's the kind of the other side to this um, this, this program, the Food Family Farming Foundation is the administrative and managing partner of the Let's Move Salad Bars to School program. So what we do is beyond granting salad bars to these schools is that we offer them a host of operational support content and tools to help them um, help each school individually hopefully get to where they need to get to to, to create a positive um, uh, salad bar operation program. And, um, and then we also now on the Let's Move Salad Bars to School website, um, saladbarstoschools.org, we have uh, a blog and it and we have blog posts I think every other week along with newsletters and in there we have we really reach out to all uh, as many as we can of our grantees and try and figure out what is working for them and what's not and um, you know on the salad bar evaluation there was definitely some feedback coming back that schools needed help with some sanitation practices or um, culinary training practices. So we're doing hero stories and we're um, creating some operational blog posts to kind of help people better understand how they can make success with their salad bars. Right, right. So so really in joining, it's so much more than a salad bar. It's joining a community of practice. Um, so just to, to get down to the nitty-gritty about participation, you know, h- how do you enroll um, and, you know, what does it look like once you're in the program? What, what do you get? Yeah, that's a good question. So you, you need to fill out a grant application. Um, that's the first step. And those can be found on the um, salabarsaschool.org website. Um, there, the grant application process, we are, we, we're, it's a rolling grant. We always accept grant, grant applications. Um, we really rely on our partners to help and, and, and the public for funding. Um, we, we have raised a considerable amount of money at this point, over $8 million, and that is incredible to see how, how people have really come to support this. Um, but we still, you know, we still need more, and we, you know, we need some every day. Schools can raise their own funds. Mm-hmm. Um, salad bars, uh, the grant is, is approximately $2,800. So schools can raise their own funds. They can raise partial funds and apply for partial grant, um, or they can apply for the full grant. Uh, there is, there's always kind of a rolling waiting list, and we're waiting for the next funds to come in. Um, but once you get the grant, you are sent 
um, a salad bar and salad bar kit. Uh, and then you, uh, we direct you through written correspondence to the salad bar operational site, which um, Food Family Farming runs on the lunchbox.org. Right. And that really houses all the information that you need. Um, we do get calls definitely from schools that have specific questions, and we try and answer them best as we can. Um, you know, certain implementation questions, certain questions about content, and we're always there to answer those questions. Right, right. And I, and I should add that the material um, that on the Lunchbox project that you can link to through the Let's Move Salad Bars to Schools page, which I will be posting on the Inside School Food um, Facebook page, it, it, it is incredible um, treasure trove of instructional videos, including videos from the National Food Service Management Institute. Um, so even if, um, you know, a district is not getting their salad bar through Let's Move Salad Bars to Schools, these are fantastic free resources um, that, that really um, simplify and reassure and provide steps and all that stuff. I, I had a lot of fun going through it all. Um, and, and I also noticed, Mara, that on the website there's a there's a, a, a click if you're a parent um, yep. button. So, you know, if we have any parents listening who are interested in um, working with food service in their child's school and getting a salad bar, you know, what can you do to help them? Yeah, great question because we get a lot of it. Honestly, parents are the impetus for change in so many communities across the country. Uh, and, and we kind of added that because we were getting so many calls from parents. So, well, you know, parents can't operationally implement a salad bar or even apply for the grant because it needs to be signed by the superintendent and by the food service director. Um, they, we have a, a, a path on our Let's Move site, Let's Move Salad Bars to School site, that kind of shows parents, gives parents some tools to start engaging with their schools and engaging with their district to start talking about this grant, about salad bars. It gives them some um, access to the research. Um, uh, I think it gives mock letters to the superintendent to help them communicate with their district about um, starting the process of trying to create change. Right. It, it, it's, a, it's a great toolkit, as everything else is there. Um, so, Anne, um, I, I have to get to you, Anne, because <laughs> how could I not? <laughs> um, do you, um, I know that there you know, there there are some sort of typical reservations that a school food service director may have in, in considering um, establishing a salad bar program in their school. What would you say is the concern that looms largest, or is, is, there, is there one that looms largest? Well, I'm not sure there's one specifically. The things we often hear mentioned is food safety, waste, the mass, line speed, uh, is it going to cost more, you know, is participation going to go down, and compliance with the USDA guidelines. So, I mean, all of those things, and I think every school would probably tell you a different one is the top of their list, depending on where they started before they put in the salad bar. Right, right. It seems to me that food safety is the one I hear about the most, but you, you would know better. And all, in, in fact, all the things that you just listed are things that I was going to ask you about. So, you know, what I'd like to do now, um, we're halfway through, so let's go to station break. And then, Anne, I want to return and go through some of the things you just mentioned in, in more detail. Uh, so, uh, listeners, stay with us to hear more about strategies for salad bar success and free educational resources that Mara, Anne, and their team have made available online. You're listening to Inside School Food's second episode about salad bars, today with Anne Cooper and Mara Fleischman from the Food Family Farming Foundation in Boulder, Colorado. 
When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At bonnieplants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants. Welcome back to Inside School Food's second conversation about salad bars. Um, and we're here today with Ann Cooper and Mara Fleischman of the Food Family Farming Foundation in Boulder, Colorado, which is a founding partner of Let's Move Salad Bars to Schools. Um, today's episode is a companion to uh, Salad Bars Part 1, which aired two weeks ago. And you can find that episode on the Heritage Radio Network website. It's episode number six. So uh, before station break, Ann, we were talking about some of the uh, more typical concerns that food service directors have when they are you know, wrestling with whether or not to introduce salad bars um, into their schools. And, and these are all concerns that you deal with really well on your website um, in tutorials and so forth. But let, let, let's run through a, a few of them. Um, you mentioned food safety as a concern. Um, and, and this is something we also talked about in connection with the Riverside program on Salad Bars Part 1. You know, in general, are are you feel you feel folks are overly concerned? Um, you know, what are what are some of the tips, um, kind of, in general about maintaining food safety in a salad bar? Well, first of all, I would say that you could never be too concerned about food safety, but I think that salad bars are one of the least places we should be concerned. I mean, there has never been a verified case of a foodborne illness outbreak from a school food service salad bar ever. So, I mean, we should know that most school districts are really, really doing a great job. And what the, from a food service director's perspective, we need to make sure that the food is cold. And on the um, Salad Bar website, we actually have videos that show that you should keep all your ingredients in the refrigerator and that the container should be in the refrigerator or the walk-in. So everything is cold from the time it goes out. Uh, so you're not putting cold ingredients in a warm container, for instance. You know, where, where people think that the food safety issue lies is kids touching food or touching the utensils. And I think this is an educational component. One of the things we do is real strong education with the kids about, about touching things, not touching the food, you know, making sure the tongs are long enough so that they don't fall back in the food. But if you really think about it, I mean, kids sit at tables together and eat, eat off each other's tray, eat out of each other's packed lunches from home. I mean, there's a lot of places where, you know, foodborne illness can become an outbreak, and salad bars just don't tend to be high on that list. Interesting. And, and another, um, especially now, um, the, the uh, subject of waste is, is just huge. It's in the headlines um, and associated costs with, with waste. Um, does having a salad bar necessarily introduce more waste, less waste? Like, you know, what's your experience? Well, first of all, I think that stuff in the news is very disingenuous because it's not like food didn't used to get wasted before. I mean, you could go into schools all over the country and see the canned green beans in the garbage can. So I think that it's, it's not really that there was never waste before and now there's waste. Uh, now we're asking you to put fresh fruits and vegetables on kids' plates, and if kids aren't given an educational experience to go with that, they may be throwing that away, and it 
costs more than canned green beans. However, my experience is with good education and good signage that you do not have excess waste from salad bars. We have signs that say, eat what you take, take what you eat. We have our cafeteria workers um, talking to the kids all the time. You know, you can come back for seconds. You don't have to take it all at once. You know, take a small portion now. You can come back. And does that mean that there's never waste? Of course it doesn't mean that. But I think because kids have choice, they tend tend to take things that they know they're going to eat, they're going to, and they tend to take the portion size that they know they're going to eat, which is actually really a great thing. So mm-hmm. I don't, my experience does not lead me to believe that waste, as long as you have an educational component, is a big issue with salad bars. Right, right. And then what about the, uh, you mentioned line speed as, as a possible, you know, issue. Anytime we move to, from highly processed foods like chicken nuggets to unprocessed foods like roast chicken, when, when you go away from something that can be eaten out of a hand to something that actually needs tableware, it is going to take a little longer to, to eat. And so you do see speed lines move a little bit slower, but you can mitigate that. So we have all of our salad bars with double-sided lines. We have, so kids don't go round and round. They both, the lines are mirrored. We have adults that are working with the children, usually volunteers, parents, and paras that will work with the kids about moving through the line. And by and large, once the kids, again, it's education, and you spend a little time with them, the lines move fast, and no different than once you have fresh, scratch-cooked food in place as opposed to highly processed food. Right, right. So it's just a matter of getting a new protocol into place and, and getting it to work, which leads me to my next question. Um, the Gretchen Swanson study mentioned um, some you know, overhead associated with getting a salad bar program going, um, training, extra staff time, but, but you told me that this is really associated with startup, um, and then later on it's not something that you can expect. So can you just speak to that? Absolutely. I do think that there's initial setup time that, that you have to account for. Teaching all the staff about the salad bars, teaching them about SOPs and HACCP, getting them really up to speed on how they're going to use the salad bar, how they're going to do it, how, how it's going to get prepped, where the product's going to be, making sure you have efficiencies in your system. Once that's up and running, we don't budget extra hours for the salad bar. You know, For instance, in one of our elementary schools for just lunch, we might have two people working, one a four-hour and one a two-hour, and we don't add extra people to that mix just because they have a salad bar. We just help them become efficient so they can work through the system. And again, you know, the salad bar doesn't necessarily create more need for staff time. In, in fact, the hotline might move faster because there may be less items that a staff person has to put on the tray where the kids are self-serving through the salad bar. So it does even out after you get through the initial startup. Right, right. And and um, I know that in, in Riverside um, that we profiled, um, they use the salad bar um, entirely for reimbursable meals in the elementary school. So that's the only way that kids are, are moved through the line is, through, is via the salad bar. You favor um, having both um, a full reimbursable meal available on the salad bar and salad bar as part of a reimbursable meal. Why is that the model that you favor? I think that when you replace the vegetable and the fruit that 
we have to put on their plate. When you take that off of the hotline, the service line, and put everything in the salad bar and have every kid go through the salad bar, it becomes part of the educational experience. And, in fact, the USDA has said that salad bars are one of the best ways to have compliance for the new guidelines, which say you have to have a half a cup of fruit or a half a cup of vegetable or a cup of lettuce. So we like to see every single kid go through the salad bar as part of the educational process, and that helps them make choices and choose different things and and grow their palates. But additionally, it's really wonderful to see kids being able to have a salad bar as a full reimbursable meal. So we do both. We let them have it as a full reimbursable meal, and every single child that goes through the hotline actually gets to go through the salad bar and take something from the salad bar to become compliant and to choose. And because they get to choose, they really like it, and it helps increase participation because it's the one of the things, especially for little kids, where they get to choose. Right, right. And, and, I, and I just want to reiterate um, the point you made about using salad bars as a way to come into compliance with the new regs. Um, it, 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 it is recommended by USDA, and it does appear to work. Um, we talked about issues around portioning um, when we spoke with Riverside. Um, it, it is a concern, however. In, in your district and in some of the other districts you work with, how, how do they deal with um, controlling portions so that reimbursable meals are correctly portioned? You know, when you think about a half a cup of vegetable, just picture in your mind a cup with a half cup measure. It's a tiny amount. And it can, doesn't have to be one vegetable or one food. It can be a combination. And when kids go through the salad bar, it's actually very easy for them to take what amounts to a half a cup. What we do to help in that educational process is we actually have pictures in, on posters. This is what a reimbursable salad looks like. This is what a side salad looks like. We teach our staff what it looks like. And we actually do send kids back to pick up something if they, don't, if they get to the cashier and don't have enough on their plate. So, again, it's education. And education does take time, but this is really important. I mean, we are doing something that will make our children healthier for the entire rest of their life. Eating fruits and vegetables is something that's really important. We know that. So the time it takes us to help educate them around it is time well spent. Right. And, and you know, when I hear you talk about it, 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 it's so clear to me that this is not rocket science. You know, it, 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 there's just so much common sense. Um, and, and your educational resources on your website really reinforce that, that this is about common sense. Uh, Mara, I want to get back to you um, because I know you, were, you began to talk about some of the um, other districts that, that you work with and the, and the range. Um, I was pretty excited to showcase the work of Riverside Unified in our first salad bar episode. However, there, there really is no denying that Riverside enjoys some unusual advantages um, that they talked about, including ample supply of local produce year-round and enough volume to command very competitive pricing. Um, Riverside is large enough to employ an accomplished executive chef and a full-time farm-to-school purchasing officer. But, you, you know, you talked about a lot of really small districts, too, um, and you count some of these little ones among your biggest successes um, and some other cold places like Maine and Wisconsin. So um, can we talk a little bit about some of those? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's a good point. I mean, Riverside is, is, you know, the star of the show. They're definitely doing it all right, but they do have a lot of support. Um, places like uh, the, the Kittery District in Maine, uh, you know, with just over a 1,000 kids in the district, um, it's, 
you know, it's more difficult. But Wendy Collins, the food service director there, reports in that, you know, one of the things she felt uh, added and created the success for her salad bar program is she really arranged things, rearranged things, so that she could have um, a dedicated salad bar staff position. And, And the person focuses on ordering prep and daily service. And you know, it can be challenging to rearrange things and create subpositions and stuff, but she believes that this has created the success. And out of that, um, their garden and greenhouse program have exploded uh, because, and she really believes that's because people, the kids, have the access to the fresh fruits and veg on on the salad bar that kids are just taking more interest in, um, in gardening and growing food, which, you know, we love to see that synergy. Place like Boone, Iowa, um, you know, the, the United Community School District of Boone, Iowa, uh, also a, a really small district, but they have, they have partnered with um, a local hospital and created something called the Mileage Club, and it's, it's to support physical activity and good nutrition, but these kids get tokens um, that, they, that they save up and for, um, for the fresh fruit and veg that they eat on the salad bar and also for physical activity. And, um, and then they, they save up these tokens uh, for year-round, and they can track their miles and track their food, and uh, there's prizes at the end. And I think that those kind of things are really creative and they're happening all the great part about it is they're happening all over the country and you know the 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 thing i i think that we need to understand is that um the missing ingredient isn't always you know a formulation a fact it's really it's it's the heart of the school, the heart of the food service director, the heart of the community, and how much they want to get behind doing things like this. Uh, there is a um, uh, one of the school districts, and I can't remember their name because I just um, heard about it at the uh, Farm to Cafeteria conference, but they have a, um, a, a school style bar mentoring program. So the older kids in elementary, the fourth and fifth graders, get assigned um, uh, a first and second, third grader, and they take them through the salad bar process and they show them what you know, what how to do it. And and because the younger kids look up to the older kids, it really works out well. And there's things like that going on all over. That is so creative, and and just another way uh, in uh, for to you know get to kids and give them a sense of ownership of the salad bar program. Yeah. That's brilliant. Well, Marat Fleischman and Ann Cooper of Food Family Farming Foundation and Let's Move Salad Bars to Schools. It's been a pleasure hearing about your efforts um, to bring salad bars into schools. Um, Keep up the good work, and um, let's get a salad bar in Wyoming, all right? (laughs) Let's do it. Yeah. Um, You've been listening to Inside School Foods Salad Bars Part 2. Do check out Salad Bars Part 1, which aired for the first time two weeks ago. And do visit Inside School Food on Facebook, where we have posted a link to a staggering amount of really helpful resources for launching or growing out a successful school salad bar program. Next week, we'll be looking at outcomes associated with stricter nutrition standards in school meals via three studies that were widely reported at the time of release last year and early this spring, higher rates of fruit and vegetable consumption, lower rates of obesity. Shouldn't we still be talking about these findings in light of the current debate that's raging around the new meal pattern? Well, we will here on Inside School Food. I'm your host, Laura Stanley, and I hope you will join us. 
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.